0: We are on. Welcome to Hack and Grow Rich. If you're here, you want to hear some sage wisdom from my co host Shaheen on the topic of being happy, being wealthy cutting edge entrepreneurism. And today we're going to talk about the mentality of doing the impossible. Uh, My co-host Shaheen Cheyenne. I always say that with a Texas accent, brother. I know it's not perfect from your Persian roots. You are the king of Amazon. You've got great clients. You've got big, big fortune 500 clients. I don't think people know all the stuff that you do behind the scenes, but I think you're most famous for your new book called Billion. How are you doing today, brother?
1: Yeah, I'm doing great. Thank you, Bart lifestyles of the rich and happy what a great book and it's
0: funny that's a great tv show but the name of the (laughs) book is success secrets of the rich and happy and i think it was you that was talking about the lifestyles guy because he has such a like a momentous voice but i did not copy that tv show from the 80s but i did as a child look at those houses and think oh my god is that even possible how does someone have that much money that's kind of what we're gonna talk about today
1: it was spectacular. And it's funny that you say you say it with a Texas accent because you've been in Texas for five minutes. And it's <laughs> funny because I had a buddy who's also moved to Austin and the mass migration or alleged mass migration. I don't believe that everybody's moving from here from California. And he came over to our house and he was hanging out. We ate a little food and started talking. And then he gets up to leave and go put his cowboy boots on. I shit you not. He really was wearing cowboy boots now. And the, he, go, he, he looks at my wife and he looks at me and he goes like this. And I go, wait a second, dude. You live in Manhattan Beach for 15 years. You're a California
0: boy. If you're on the audio, Shaheen tipped his hat, you know, like a cowboy does visually. Um, I didn't get my first cowboy boots, so I moved to California at 18 years old. Like, I didn't want to be Texan when I I grew up here, you know, besides football and, uh, you know, uh, the Dallas Cowboys. I wasn't really perceived as a texan but it's interesting now that austin's popular now that the world is changing you know and the tax issues people are finding it's a pretty cool place um but i do have an accent when i talk to my mother or father it comes out profoundly but i, I did a lot of work to reduce my accent so that people wouldn't judge me if you remember this guy named ross perot ran for president and he talked like this he's ross pro we're gonna be president of the united states and he sounded like an idiot i think that's why he lost he's a genius he started eds He literally started one of the most successful computer companies his son still a billionaire but that voice people judge you so i now do not have an accent except when i say your name (laughs) that's right that's right
1: that's right Yeah, yeah he was he was a very interesting guy i mean i love watching success and being a student of success and i know that you are too i mean you've written the book on it which is amazing
0: well in all fairness when i wrote that book you know i really wasn't financially successful but it wasn't about me it was about studying people, about digesting other things like like the different um, philosophies about raising money and you think about the rich dad, poor dad. You know, it integrates all those principles. I, I wasn't saying that I figured it out, but there's a map there. And if you look and read all these books from people that figure it out, you have a good chance to model it. And I think that's one of the, the questions we're going to ask today because you – gave me a word that I had not heard until you sent it to me. I'd heard it, but I didn't really understand it. And, and we'll tease it a little bit. But you're like, we're going to talk about the reality distortion field and doing the impossible. And I'm like, oh, this is amazing because I've always modeled things or tried to get on my comfort zone. I'm not sure I've ever done something that was impossible, Sheen. And you have. So I'm particularly excited about this conversation because we've both done a little research on this. And not just be successful, but do something impossible. Oh, that's yeah. cool.
1: How do you do the impossible? Speaking of impossible, I want to let you guys know today's show is brought to us by our sponsor, Accelerol. If you notice here, I've got Focus Plus and Accelerol. So Accelerol is a nootropic supplement that I developed and invented, and now I'm a big part of that company. You can get Accelerol on Amazon or anywhere where great supplements are sold. Look for the green and blue capsules which indicate that it is Accelerol. And Accelerol is just a a fantastic supplement if you're looking for something to give you a little bit of an edge. Once again, neither Bart nor I are doctors or medical professionals. So before taking any supplement or anything that we talk about or doing anything that we talk about on the show, you do need to consult with a doctor. We're not here to treat, prevent, cure, or diagnose any disease. And it's silly that we have to make that disclaimer, but we do. And I just wanted to, you know, give a shout out to our sponsor. So for anybody who's interested, check out Accelerol at E-X-C-E-L-E-R-O-L.com or go on to Amazon and look up Accelerol or its sister product Focus Plus. Now, the two products are different. You will note that Focus Plus looks like Accelerol, but it's a little bit cheaper and The hack that I'm going to tell you guys is they both work equally well. With Focus Plus, you do have to take a little bit more than with Accelerol, which is the full power formula that athletes and scientists and literally rocket scientists take. So if you're interested, please check out Accelerol. And with that, let's move on to something that I think, Bart, that we should start doing in every episode is talking a little bit about um, the world's richest people at the time where we're doing it. So we're taking a look now. Can you see my screen Bart?
0: I can. I see Jeff Bezos' big head in the middle of Forbes' World's Billionaires list.
1: Perfect, perfect. And most people don't know, you know, this is a crazy thing, that when I went to write my book, all these people contacted me, that you can pay to be featured in a lot of these magazines. I'm going to say allegedly just because I think they, they have many ways around it. And I don't want anybody's attorneys calling me, but allegedly magazines like Forbes and entrepreneurs and all those kinds of magazines that you can pay at something like five to 15 grand. And I even know guys that have gotten the cover of those magazines now, because the publishing business is hurting so bad that, you know, you can buy, let's say, for example, South Africa, Forbes or South Africa entrepreneur, they will sell you the, uh, allegedly, will sell you the cover of these magazines. And for a few thousand bucks, allegedly write an article on you. And there's agencies that offer that. So it's, it's super interesting. Now, what we're looking at here is their bread and butter, people who did not need to pay. And we're talking about the world's richest people, billionaires. Now, I will give this caveat that I had a friend who is very close with some very powerful and wealthy people. And one of the things that he told me, Bart, and I don't know if you you agree with this or not, but he worked for some very powerful men. I will not even mention them. And he told me that, you know, Shaheen, the people who have the real money, the real cash, the real power, you know, possibly trillionaires, people that are incredibly wealthy, that control nation states, you're never gonna see them on Forbes and their wealth is not going to be public because like most things, wealth is something that is more powerful when it's quiet. <clears throat> so number one, Bart, we've got our boy, Jeff Bezos. Look at that smirk, so happy. You know, I was I,
0: thinking about him being at top of this list and he gave away 50 or $60 billion to his wife just a couple of years ago in the divorce. And yet he's still at the top. How many Amazon workers can't go to the restroom because he's this wealthy? I need to know. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, I, you know, I don't I don't know, you know. I mean, I don't know how bad it is. I mean, I hear that, and then I hear the other side of it too. And I think, you know, at that level, I think these are guys that just play with efficiency and scale. Like there was a film on Bill Gates, who's is he in the yeah, he's number four right here. And it's called something like Inside Bill's Brain or something about that. And it, it really is a revealing look. If you guys wanna watch it, I think it's on Netflix. And it's a super revealing look at this guy who's like, look, I'm at the top of my game. I've made billions of dollars in my life. I'm worth 100 you know 20 plus billion. It looks like 124 billion. And I'm looking to solve the world's problems wholesale. I'm not interested in retail problem solving. And that's what he is. And so it's, you know, those those problems of like technology where you think like, okay, we can build this, you know, intelligent AI that will know that, hey, um, there's five people that, you know, the uh, uh, train's gonna crash. It can crash into these five people or these 10 people, who's worth more, right, by age or whatever. So he's solving those kinds of really tricky problems on a wholesale level. In in a very deep way. So of course, when these guys get that big and their companies are that big, and I make no excuses for them, you know everybody should be treated equ- equitably and there should be equality and fairness through the workplace and whatnot. But at the end of the day, they're they're solving problems on a wholesale level, and there's machines behind them. So you look at someone like Bezos or number two, right? Is Elon Musk crazy? Crazy! It's an electric car company that was unheard of 20 years ago. You know, most people didn't even know what Tesla was 20 years ago. We
0: define the the concept of solving a problem on a wholesale level. That's not a, a concept I think that that I'm familiar with. Sure. Drill down a little bit so we don't lose you in the vocabulary of that.
1: Right. So solving a problem on a wholesale level. So a retail level would be Bart. People are hungry. Let's me and you go out and we can feed a thousand people tonight if we go get a thousand turkeys. And we cook them at the soup kitchen
0: right. and feed a Solving thousand. Solving the people. end problem, not the upstream problem.
1: Wholesale would be something like what Bill Gates is doing, you know, where he's like, hey, I can donate some money and help, you know, however many people I can help, or I can figure out how to solve sanitation. And if I solve sanitation, millions of people are going to be helped. If I figure out how to solve hunger, millions of people are going to be helped. So I think that's that's something that's that's super interesting. And I think it's a common link between all these people. And these are people who who do the impossible every day. Jeff Bezos just came back from space. So Richard Branson, is Branson on here? No, Branson isn't in the top 20, I don't think. No, he's not. Um, I think he's just a couple million compared to these guys, right? So then we've got uh, LVMH, which is a luxury Ber- Bernard Arnault and family number three. That's surprising. I didn't know they were, they were that Wealthy, but I guess it's a whole family of like luxury right goods. Now, one
0: person, whole family. Let me tell you perspective. Our, um, my first book was published in 1993, so this was pre-internet, right? Or at least the the common internet, 95, 96. And I went as a 23 year old, you know, author to the a booksellers conference, which was two stadiums, not just one, but like two full size trade shows, like in Chicago and Miami. And I was an ant in a sea of booksellers and i mean i and i and i felt it it was like when you go there and you see hundreds of thousands of booths you just realize how big this industry is and i talk about that because bezos that was his first target he had the ability to look at that industry which i jumped in and was swallowed up like self-published no one would talk to me like i got my book in a couple of bookstores but it was it was difficult And, and he looked at that same problem and went i'm gonna put all these people on a business like, to me, that's just amazing having seen the same thing he saw, but his solution was, I'm going to shut these guys down and take over. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, books, <laughs>
0: Like, wow.
1: Books were never the end goal. Amazon doesn't make a lot on books, of course. You know, that it was a way for him to get his foot in the door and to test his theories because books were, for, for a number of reasons that he talks about in – Uh, the book, which they have out now it's something like uh, Bezos wild and wandering or something like that. I think Isaacson put it together. I had a copy here, but people keep taking it, Um, you know, and he talks about that right coming out of DH Hutton, a big VC, he wanted to find something that would be easy to prove his model with. And that's where he came out with the books. So let's see if there's anybody here that
0: um, we might be surprised to see. Can you see my screen? Yeah, it looks yes. like there's a richest people in the world and a uh, graph of how wealthy he's getting.
1: Yeah, crazy. Right? Yeah, that is, that is really crazy because in 2017 he was only worth 72 billion, and in 2021, of course, with the uh, internet boom, the stock market rise, these guys are at 177 billion. Now, of course, this isn't liquid. A lot of this is in stock that I, I don't think they can liquidate. Maybe they can. You got Zuckerberg at 97 billion. Gates was at 124 billion. Buffett at 96 billion, the compound interest, Berkshire Hathaway guy. Larry Ellison, which is really interesting. How much do you know about Larry Ellison? I was
0: page because Page was uh, Facebook or I mean not Facebook, one of the search- Larry
1: Page, yeah.
0: Yeah, and then Larry Ellison, did he fund some of uh Bill Gates stuff? Give me a little background.
1: I don't know enough about Larry Ellison. What happens if we click down here? Does it tell us about him? Look at this. Also, when in 2020, Ellison was worth 59 billion. And now in 2021, he's worth 93 billion. Almost like close to to Ah, uh, double. So it says he's co-founder and giant of Oracle, but you know you don't see him a lot. He's got a fairly low profile for such a big billionaire. You know, you don't see him a lot. Then you got the Google guys at eight and nine, and then there is a guy from India, Mukesh Ambani don't know I've um, seen
0: his building because last time I was in Mumbai somebody's like hey that's the richest guy in India and, and he owned a skyscraper and it was stunning and, and you're I mean Mumbai is a very wealthy city compared to other cities but it was stunning how much money in contrast to the fabric of the rest of that society you know kind of like these guys have doubled their income in the middle of a pandemic when some people are starving and, and dying these guys are doubling their income it's a very very strange world with the ultra wealthy
1: yeah. And you've got some of these guys. Okay. So sometimes you can, you can inherit wealth. So you don't necessarily have to do anything impossible to inherit wealth, just be born to a good family. So you've got like the Waltons who you know, are part of the Walmart family. Um, you know Bloomberg, who I think always came from a wealthy family. You got Mackenzie Scott who married into it and then you know, divorced Jeff Bezos. And then you've got uh, Phil Knight as number 25. And Phil Knight, interestingly enough, Nike is ahead of Jack Ma of Alibaba, which is fascinating. And then you've got the Kochs and, you know, and then it goes down to number 30, fascinating, number 30 in the billionaires list is Michael Dell, which is crazy. Um, that's really hard to believe, but I guess they've got government contracts and whatnot. So, okay, so these are the world's richest people. So, one of the things that you and I talked about was the topic of today's show, which is doing three impossible things before breakfast. What is that from? I think it's from Alice in Wonderland, isn't it? It's the the Mad Hatter who's like, "You do at least three impossible things before breakfast." Such a great quote. And you know, I think a lot of the times, we look at situations in life. And I use the example of Steve Jobs from the Isaacson book, the great Walter Isaacson, who wrote the the biography on Einstein, and he wrote the biography on Steve Jobs. And he talks about how Steve Jobs would walk into a room, and I'm probably butchering this story, but he would walk into a room And he would look at all these engineers and he'd be like, Hey guys, guess what? I need a phone. I needed to have no buttons. I needed to hold 60,000 songs and work as a phone and have all those other features. And and yeah, absolutely no buttons on this thing at all. What do you guys think? And they're like, yeah, sure. We can do it. Four years, five years. He's like, no, no. Wednesday at nine o'clock. The technology doesn't exist. Make it happen. And somehow these people who are the smartest people in the world sitting there, like he literally had hired you know, top engineers, rocket scientists, the best of the best to work at Apple, as we know from our friend Nolan Bushnell, who was one of the
0: first people to hire Steve Jobs. And, oh, yeah. He's told some great stories about him. He put Steve on the night shift because he, he, he pissed so many people off. But he's yeah. like, hey, you don't want to fire the guy. He's a genius. That genius has to be managed in a very special way, I think is what he said. <laughs>
1: That's right. And Nolan was unique in that. He knew how to do that. And check out Nolan's book, Discovering the Next Steve Jobs. It's an incredible book. And we'll have Nolan on the show as well. Nolan Bushnell, the founder of Atari and Chuck E. Cheese's. So what we're talking about is... Steve Jobs walking into a room. And then somehow, some way, somewhere along the way, it would happen. And he would do the impossible. Wednesday would show up and they would have a phone. Now, it might not have been the most perfect product. People who do impossible things, people that are leaders are generally broad stroke guys. And what I mean by that part is that they don't have a tendency to get overwhelmed by the details. The people who are generally not hugely successful are far more concerned about the specialization and the this and the that and the little details of things, which is the reason why rocket scientists aren't the wealthiest people in the world. I don't see a single rocket scientist on there. Probably the closest we would get to that is Elon, who's an academic and an entrepreneur and kind of straddles both words, worlds. But he's really a, a, an entrepreneur of of Above and beyond, I think being a being a scientist. I'm not sure he would be classified as a scientist. He he,
0: he has a an engineer's type personality, but he's also admitted to having like a you know particular um, mental you know conditions which make him speak a little slower, and he's a little bit like Rain Man, that yeah. the character from the movie, which is kind of a genius but an odd personality. Um,
1: yeah, I think I, he's said Aspergers, right? Or, or yeah, one Aspergers.
0: Of those. Aspergers. I actually, without giving names, knew a family member of his, and and they found him to be rather unempathetic, and you know, very you know, not real warm and fuzzy. But as a personality type, wealth comes in all ways. Um, there's a great, great guy named Roger Hamilton. We need to have him on the show. He has a, a wealth dynamics test, and he uses some of these archetypes to explain wealth. And what's interesting about studying Edison or Oprah or Branson is they have different personality types. And, and me being an expert on personality, mostly through handwriting and NLP, is that you know I, I originally thought, oh, personality type is how I get wealthy, but when you meet people that are completely introverts and they're still wealthy it makes you think oh maybe it's the strategy not another personality type
1: ah i see what you're saying yeah that's i mean i mean i think it's 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 interesting you know i think a lot of these guys look it's it's lonely at the top and you have to be willing to take a position of leadership but not only do you have to be willing to take a position of leadership you have to be willing to go the road alone if you have to The first thing I learned is that people are very quick to tell you that things are impossible. And when I started Herbal Ecstasy back in the early 90s, I remember all I heard was that it was impossible. But I had a flaw, and that was I didn't listen to anybody. And not only that, I didn't know that it was impossible. Just because they're saying it's impossible, I didn't want it to be impossible. So I learned how to form what Isaacson says Steve Jobs had, which was a reality distortion field. And I think there's there's certain ways where you can do the impossible. And, and we can talk about some examples of this. I think a very common one is health. And we talk about health and wellness. And of course, your health being the absolute most important thing at the hierarchy of things that you should be concerned about, right? It's like your family and your health, and then everything else falls from that or follows that, I should say, I think, To if I was corrected. And oftentimes, we will go to people that are experts, like doctors or health practitioners or whoever, and they will tell us that things are a certain way. And there's a lot of people that'll just listen to them, take what they say as, as gospel, and that becomes their reality. Now, there are other people, and you and I talked about this, Bart, the difference between Eastern wisdom and Western wisdom, who will say, yeah, dude, I understand that you think this particular thing is terminal and my knee will never work again, but I don't accept that. And they continue to search to find the thing that fixes their knee. And so a great example for myself, Bart, was that I, during my martial arts practice, which I re-picked up when I was 40, 39, I started again after not doing it for 20 plus years, i blew both of my knees both meniscus is torn and i went to the doctor and he said look we can operate it'll never be the same that it was you know we can clean it up you can have a bunch of operations there's a bunch of stuff that could happen but you likely are going to have to stop doing martial arts and you know doing the stuff that you know you normally do and it'll never be the same and i said thank you very much and this guy was was an amazing doctor and one of the best of the best but i said thank you very much i don't accept that as my reality and six months went by and I started researching and reading certain exercises that I could do. I started taking certain anti-inflammatory supplements. And again, anybody who has a condition, please go see your doctor and take their advice because I am one step up from a chimpanzee as far as my <laughs> understanding of medicine or whatever. But I'm just speaking anecdotally as far as my own results, maybe one step down from a chimpanzee. I don't know. Some days I feel one I've step down. I've
0: multiple from... books on combinations of herbs and you're, you're being very humble so
1: what what I did after six months is I started realizing that it was getting better, and I did a combination of things, you know, combination of cold ice, cryotherapy, ice water, ice and heat, um they call it uh, immersion therapy, uh you know contrast therapy, I did red lights. I did everything that I could until I found stuff that worked and after about six to eight months, I went back, and the doctor said, "You know what? They did the MRI again." And he said, you know what, your meniscus is still torn, but somehow the body's reabsorbed the little uh, part. And if you feel fine, we feel fine. You definitely don't need to have the surgery. And I said, great. And now I practice every day. And yeah, okay, so I have to do an extra 15 minutes of stretching before I train, before I go on the mats and and train jujitsu or mixed martial arts. Um, You know, and I don't do Thai boxing anymore because that impact is really hard on the knees, all those kicking, uh, that kind of kicking, you know, uh, I miss it, but I can't do it. Um, But, you know, my knees are fine. And that's an impossible thing. The doctor doesn't understand it. The the medical practitioners don't understand how that works. And if, if I were to tell the doctor who was looking at an MRI, the top technology that we have in this moment, saying, hey, Uh, I think I can get it better in six months. And him saying, dude, I've operated on hundreds of people better than you, younger than you. Like you are not going to get better and not accepting that. So I think the first part of it is that you have to be willing to bend reality. And I think what that means, Bart, is don't be an idiot. Don't go jump out out of a window and be like, ah, I see I'm bad because gravity will win. There are certain natural laws that you can never go against and come out better for. But intelligently, there are little things that you can do. And my jujitsu teacher actually introduced me to this concept. Now, I'm interested to hear what you think about this part. But I was training on the mats, and jujitsu is a Brazilian grappling art, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And I kept thinking when I had restarted after COVID, that like, hey, I just want to keep getting on top. I want to keep being dominant. I want to win, win, win. Because in business, you know how we think, Bart, where we're always trying to win, always trying to dominate, always trying to come out ahead. And he stopped me and he said, you know what, bud? Sometimes you just got to get in a less shitty position. And then from that, you go to a slightly less shitty position. And from there, you get in a position that's not great, but it's not bad until finally you can get out. And then you can start thinking about getting back on top. But you have to have that skill set before you can get on to the other skill set. So it's incremental and it's an incremental, again, like not jumping out of the window, but slowly, slightly, one step at a time, in the direction that you want to go, bending reality very slowly.
0: John Assaroff, who's uh, was featured in I think the first secret, he believe me once that most people, when they go from, you know, young to super wealthy it's not like a stair step it's not a perfect line it's more like the stock market where you get a real big jump and then you level out for a month or two or three years and i think what's happening your unconscious mind is now just sort of getting used to the new level of wealth and then from that you make another leap up but it's not like a steady line and what what occurred to me when you explained that and then i want to talk about what the definition of reality reality disorder fulfilled is that if you are completely in debt now you're not going to jump into being a millionaire and then a billionaire you know there's there's a thousand times between millionaire and billionaire i don't people know that number it's 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 big but if you're out of debt less next month you're making progress if you're moving toward being out of debt and then get your first house you're winning like there's a certain sequence to it i love the idea of getting in a less shitty position because that completely would define a lot of people's financial situation And, and we're not Most cultures don't talk about it as openly as you and I talk about it. In fact, for some cultures, it's taboo to even discuss money. It's almost like a bad – it's like you never do it. But wealthy families, especially ones with generational wealth, they talk about money. They talk about investments. They move through that conversation with ease, and they make sure their kids uh, also talk about money. The internet – I'm on Wikipedia – says reality distortion field is a term first coined by an Apple employee named Bud Tribble. And he was referring to Steve Jobs' charisma, and so we talked about Steve. Yeah, he's he's difficult, but people loved him. Like people wanted to do the impossible. And I think if you look at the other people that have been described as having some kind of reality distortion field, the list says things like Tim Ferris. Uh, let me look at that. Like like. Um, Bill Clinton, for example, even Donald Trump—you may hate him, but he did something remarkable. He went from being a TV guy and a real estate guy to being himself elected president. A lot of people are still drinking that Kool-Aid because these people, like, had the ability to change reality, and 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 basically the cult of personality, so to speak. So when you hear the word reality distortion field, it's not an actual you know thing or a gimmick or electronic device. It's charisma at its very best.
1: You know who I think is great at this part? Being an Amazon seller, an Amazon FBA seller. We're one of the biggest Amazon FBA sellers in the country now selling a wide range of products that we sell, and as far as private label goes. And this is one of the things that I learned early on in the Amazon game, selling on Amazon, being an Amazon seller, and, and running an Amazon course where I teach people how to do this is the Russians. Now, we have a tendency to think of the Russians differently, but I'll tell you something. They have less resources than we do in a lot of ways. And you and I have talked about this before. It gives them more grit. They can do things that we can't do. When you hear about Russian hacking and Russian hackers, I see it all the time on Amazon. I talk to Russian hackers all the time that have Amazon accounts up and are making millions of dollars selling on Amazon. Why? Because they are willing to push the envelope. They are willing to do whatever it takes. They have an on-demand proclivity for building a reality distortion field that bends all reality to what they need in that moment. And that's why they excel at things where they have to manipulate algorithms. The way we live life is an algorithm. The way we sell on Amazon is an algorithm. The way people buy is an algorithm. It's just like the matrix, You know, all those numbers running down the screen. And if you can learn to read that and manipulate it, you can change not only your perception of the world, but other people's perception of the world, which can lead to real impact. So the second part of this, Bart, which I know you're an NLP practitioner, you know that I've had a lot of background in NLP, hypnosis, and persuasion language, and we talk about Professor Caldini a lot, and we've got to get him on the show, who wrote the book Influence and Persuasion, that at the end of the day, what was Steve Jobs doing? What was Bill Gates doing when he sat in that room creating all that code for Windows? he was communicating to people. Steve Jobs was influencing people. So to bend reality, you have to be unreasonable and you have to be able to have that power of influence, which comes through what you very astutely observed, charisma.
0: Was it, is it the ability to enroll other people into like a bigger vision? Because that seems to be what leaders do they get everybody on board even the coach of a great team or world-class team they're enrolling these people like look at the tampa bay buccaneers tom brady went down there and rolled them into the idea they can win a super bowl yeah. i mean you have to look at leadership and you're like yeah he, he, he's already won a super bowl of course he could do it but he had to get other people on the same on the same team um nolan bushnell did the same thing when he, when he launched these these video games he went into radio shack and he d- demoed a video game that wasn't ready he had, he had screwed it into the wooden floor, and he didn't really – and they, they sort of – they didn't trick it. They just – it wasn't really ready, yet he sold 300,000 units, and he made it happen. And by Christmas, everybody had a video game in, in their hands, but yeah. it wasn't ready. It was his belief and his chutzpah and his charisma that enrolled other people into his vision. And yes. That's, that's what we're talking about, and not necessarily the manipulative side, although Wikipedia, some of the other words for this is hypnosis or cult of personality or brainwashing. But I'm not sure that there's a very fine line. I guess it's your moral compass, whether it's brainwashing or hypnosis. But if I'm hypnotizing you to have a good self-esteem, you'll thank me. If I hypnotize you to give me your money, you won't thank me. So the judgment is not the tool. It's the outcome.
1: That's right that's right it's a, it's one of those kind of you know again woo woo talk but universal principles where you're right uh, on that same note whatever whatever is doling out these principles nature has no bias so it doesn't matter if a good man jumps from uh, a a balcony or a bad man jumps from a balcony they both will hit the ground with force you've got all those things. You've got mass, you've got speed, you've got acceleration, you've got all that stuff going on, regardless of what it is. Similarly, to your point, a guy like Charles Manson, David Koresh, any of these cult leaders can draw people to them with that same level of charisma as the, the business leaders do. It's really no different. It's the same elements of persuasion and reality distortion. We hear about some of these religions, and I'm not going to put any of them on blast, but there's some wacky new ones out there. And, you know, they're they're getting people involved. And it's that same kind of thing. Normal people who would never believe in any of it. If you told them, hey, do you think there may be life on other planets? They'd be like, ah, come on. And then you're like, oh, wait a second. What do you believe again? You believe from what? what what's going on? Like it's some crazy You know some crazy story that that they believe and it's because of this reality and who knows maybe jesus was some incredibly charismatic dude that had a massive mastery of this reality distortion field
0: i I think anyone that starts a movement of any significance must have been incredibly charismatic I mean, it, it, you look at the leaders around the world today, the Richard Bransons and even the Donald Trumps, half the people were charmed by him. I mean, half of the United States really, really got behind his version of what he thought was real. And, and it won in the election. If you go back to the um, you know the Henry Ford and you go back into the industrial age, you know, you're talking about these amazing men. They were so visionary, but it wasn't them alone. It was them selling their ideas on other people. I mean, it all comes down to enrollment or sales. They're selling a bigger idea. If you're starting a cult, you're selling a bigger idea. Hey, your religion was good, but mine's better. And it's gonna serve you and the world better if you work for two dollars an hour and and you know, come to work for me and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's an enrollment conversation, but it takes a darker turn when you're talking about Charles Manson versus Jeff Bezos, who who, you know, built a huge company over 20 years and now he's the richest man in the world, is the benefit. He was able to enroll a lot of people, especially the stock market. Yeah, let's talk about that for a second. Shaheen, most, most people wouldn't be able to answer how you become a, a, a billionaire. A lot of people can probably answer how you become a millionaire. But to get up in 100000000000 billion, you're talking about money making money on itself, which until you've bro- broke through that you know job, breaking the job thing. How, how do you – get from 0 to a million and is it a process where you have to get into the investment world very quickly cuz in my mind I think the only way I'm going to become a billionaire is to get a company that goes public and that puts me into the VC world a public so then I got the stock and I ride that stock but if I don't have a company that goes public am I am I going to look at 15 20 40 million as my max like tell me how you perceive it if you were to coach myself or some of our listeners to go from where they are to try and breaking that b hurdle
1: so anytime anybody asks me how how do you become a billionaire i think the answer is with a question and that question is why do you want to become a billionaire if you recall when we talked about this earlier in earlier episodes and you guys check out earlier episodes of hack and grow rich we've got some good stuff in the earlier days that we were doing this, is that chasing money never works. And I coach people, and I know you coach people too, is to chase excellence, not money. Because the difference in lifestyle between having a hundred million dollars and having a billion dollars, you know, it's, it, it really doesn't have to be that different. You can have everything that you ever wanted in life a hundred million dollars you could have everything that you really need in life with 10 or 20 million dollars having a billion dollars plus puts you at a level where you might be like hey i want to now impact global politics i want to impact medicine i want to do these kinds of really big wholesale level type changes to the world and that would really be the only thing i mean how many houses can you live in how many cars can you have how many restaurant, you know, caviar and uh, whatever it is, meals, can you can you possibly eat at a certain point? It becomes redundant. So if you're thinking, hey, how do you become a billionaire? What we can talk about is how people have become billionaires. And a lot of that wealth, you are right, was created through the stock market and companies going public and people holding those shares. And if you look at the ones on Forbes, certainly that's the case. Another way to do it is to become a dictator or manipulator of some type of nation state and to steal their resources or borrow their resources
0: in order to become wealthy, as happened. I bet Putin's a billionaire. I mean, he took all the oil money. He's made himself a dictator. That guy's got a lot of money.
1: I will not comment on that. He earns 135,000 rubles per year and is a great and glorious leader. Thank you. (laughs)
0: <laughs> am I gonna get shot now? Do I am I gonna get canceled by the Russians? Damn it! His martial
1: I, arts are excellent. He I'm is. I'm gonna a... take,
0: uh, but he looks good shirtless on a horse. That I will, I will say without without shame. Very handsome man.
1: There, there's there's a lot of books written about him and a lot of films written about him and he's a legit black belt in judo, not to be messed with. He was uh, allegedly a KGB guy, I think. So he is a. Badass, like he is not the guy that you want to fuck with, and who knows what he's worth and what kind of wealth he has and and whatnot. I'm sure a lot of people have wealth in those things. I mean, Russian oligarchs, you know, go without saying. So the other way to do it, of course, Russian oligarchs and and other oligarchs, is that they they have money from monopolization of an industry or a resource which is another way. Another way to do it is to marry into it. Mackenzie Bezos, I don't know if she married into it when he was wealthy or after that point, but she got married to a guy that, that did that. There are people who have married into it. You can be born into it, it can be you know, given to you, somebody can bequeath it to you, or uh, what do you call it when somebody dies and you get the money, inherit, you can inherit it. Um, that happens sometimes. And sometimes you're at the right place at the right time. You're the chairman of some company, the company goes public, you get the shares, but that goes back into the stock market. And really, historically, that's really been the only way that this has, this has happened, that somebody has, has gained that level of wealth. Back in the day,
0: it was really family wealth and generational wealth. Interesting statistic comes to mind, and, and I've read a number of articles on this, and there was a couple of studies, is people that win the lotto which in California and Texas they're called different things, but but basically they Bonnery. win four or five million dollars or maybe a hundred million dollars. Those people, you almost unanimously say they wish they hadn't have won it, because their friends change, their friends are asked for money, and all the relationships change, and they're always broke unless they get like that forty-year payout where they always get it. Like they're broke in six years, and the reason is they didn't have the conditioning to earn it. So when it came, they blew it. It's kind of like not having conditioning and drop you in the middle of a a marathon. Like you don't have the mental conditioning. You don't have to handle it. You don't have the relationship. You don't have the friendships. You don't have the investors. Now you got a bunch of people from your poor mentality or, or, or say, average middle class. Now everything's changed. So it's really interesting. They actually wish they hadn't have won it, whereas – and I tell people this all the time. I say, look, if you get an inheritance or you get divorced, this could be one or two windfalls your whole life. So don't blow it. Like, most people don't get a $10 million check every month. Like, it's once when your parents die or once when your grandma. And so be very mindful if you ever get that windfall and don't be like a lottery mentality and go buy a bunch of new cars. Uh, That's just terrible. A a friend of mine, not a friend of mine, a friend of my sister's, uh, his parents got killed in a car accident, so when he finally settled the lawsuit, all the kids got big checks of, like, four or $500,000, which is terrible, right? Their kid, his parents died from the tire company, right? But they blew it. Like, he just couldn't hold on to it because he'd never had it before, and three years later, he had he spent all the money. So the, I think getting wealthy is the same thing. If you don't have the discipline – to earn it, or to save, or to live miserly, we had a whole episode on how miserly you are. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious how you still use coupons, and uh, so does my dad. You know, very very wealthy people, but they have discipline.
1: So a couple couple things with that. So you there, there's a lot to unpack there, but that's really interesting. So I think the the first thing is, you know, Stuart Wilde, who we talk about, who wrote the book. Um, uh, the Trick to Money is Having some. A great book, dated, lots of woo-woo. If you like woo-woo and new age stuff, it's a great book. But I, I kind of came up with that book. So it was a, a very impactful book. He taught us a very interesting principle. And I think this is a great analogy for what you're saying to your point. And he said, when you see people, you can only help them past a certain level where they're at. And if you pick people up too fast and too high, their little legs will be dangling and they will hate you for it. And that happens a lot of the time when people help other people out and that person hasn't asked for it, that person is at a different level and they, they can't comprehend that world that they've just been thrown into. So a lot of the times that's, that's the reason why that happens. The second part is, yeah, look, with me, I I do like deals. I do like economy and being economic with things. I don't like waste, which goes much more to it. If I can get something for less and it doesn't take me any more time, I don't like to be wasteful. But sometimes I like to pay for not just quality. I like to pay even like, especially I should say when I'm with my son to make an example. So for example, we went somewhere the other day and he's really getting into, he's eight years old, seven years old. He's seven years old now. He's really getting into mixing non-alcoholic drinks. He likes, he's learning about mixology and he's making all these cool beverages. He's putting fruits in them and all kinds of fun stuff because it's summer here in California. And he loves to do that. He has his friends over and he's like, look at this great mixology I made for you guys. He loves making drinks. So we went somewhere and the lady looks at us and he's trying to buy some kind of teeth and some kind of boutique store. And the lady's like, well, that's $28. And he's like, yeah, but that's the one that I need. She's like, son, that's $28. And he looks at me and he goes, dad, I, I want that, but it's $28. And I looked at the lady and I looked at him and I said, son, tell her we'll take two. And so he looks at the lady and he goes, he's, he's kind of scared and he goes, dad, you tell her. I said, nope, if you want it, you got to tell her. So he goes, okay, we'll take two. And the lady looks at me and she says, sir, those are $28 a piece. And I said, well, if he wants it. And he's like looking at me and he's like, dad, what should we do? I'm like, tell her we'll take four. And So he looks at the lady and this lady is just flabbergasted. She has moved the boxes out of the thing. And he goes, we'll take four. And she was like, okay. And she like rings it up for whatever it was, you know, it was like, uh, uh, it was like a hundred bucks or hundred something with all the stuff that he got. Um, And, you know, and he's like looking at me and I'm like, here's a credit card, buy it. And it's an affirmation. It's an affirmation that we don't live in lack, that that purchase doesn't mean anything to us. The money doesn't mean anything. We get the tea. You can't eat the money. You get the tea. The tea is more important. I wanted to show him that I wanted to show him that he doesn't live in lack, but generally speaking in life, I like circumvention and hacks and, Being able to figure out how to be efficient and have maximum efficiency in your life is really a thing. And you can take that practice in small steps. So I think the difference is between affirming to yourself, like if you go to the store and the organic one is 15 bucks and the non organic one is 12 bucks, get the fucking organic one. That three bucks isn't going to make a difference to you. And even if it does, get it because you are affirming. That you are the type of person that buys the fifteen dollar fucking organic one.
0: There's a idea in the woo-woo community called wealth consciousness, and it's a fine line because <laughs> the you. <woo-woo> community. <laughs> Which which I'm technically part of. I mean, I write self help books. I'm trying to walk that line with cognitive psychology and, you know, programming yourself because you don't have to get stuck with the same brain you came in with. You can program and you can change your belief systems, but it does kinda walk that line of a little bit, you know, I'm gonna think, therefore I'm I'm wealthy, you know. Not necessarily. Think, act and do something different. But it's that wealth consciousness and versus like poverty consciousness. So you don't want to always be thinking that you're poor. I think you did a great thing when the lady's like, That's twenty eight dollars. So her world and her reality was $28 is a lot of money. You can tell by the emotion of her voice. But you don't want your son thinking that. You don't want to think that because that, that gives you a stuckness about things. It's like risking money in a real estate transaction or stock market. You, know? you, you have to be able to, to take the risk. But at the same time as you can afford it, you don't need to waste money. I think that's one of the biggest lessons as people move from middle class to upper class is they need to have that cushion. They need to save money. They need to shop around a couple of days before they buy something. And I love the fact that you've got both of those simultaneously because sometimes it's one or the other. It's either I'm I'm, gonna, I'm wealthy but I'm going to still live in lack and I'm still going to not eat the good bread because I'm still poor. Like mean, you're not poor anymore. You're 75 years old. <laughs> you haven't been poor in 70 years, dude. But they gonna they're gonna you know eat the five dollar chili instead of the twenty dollar meal. I think that's an interesting conundrum. Um, Before we wrap up, I I like to bring this sort of a hack, though. Is there anything regarding this idea of um, reality distortion field that we can bring into our own life, into our small businesses, into our relationships? How can we make money out of this idea? Because I don't perceive myself going to Mars or launching a rocket ship, but I would like to use this to be a little happier, a little more wealthy.
1: Yeah, we talked about this. So it's everything that we've talked about up until this point. Not necessarily believing people's viewpoints, being able to think outside of the box and being able to push your will beyond your restrictions, I think is one of the key components of this. Sometimes you have to fucking be unreasonable. You really do. And it's called for again, you can't push against the laws of nature, but making micro moves. So I'm just summarizing what we talked about, Bart. I hope that's cool. But we're making micro moves to get ourselves in a better position or in a less shitty position, depending on where you're at until you can, you can achieve the freedom. And at the end of the day, You've got to have an unshakable self-belief, as Richard Koch talks about in his book, Unreasonable Success and How to Achieve It. you got to have an unshakable belief in yourself, and you have to develop influence, influence not only for others but to yourself, and with that comes discipline. I know I I do. You and I have talked about this, and I I signed up for the Wim Hof method. Wim Hof, the Ice Man, who does these breathing techniques, and I remember watching it. And this is a great example. And I'm I'm making analogies because I think you can apply that to business. Business is is really something for me that's fun and enjoyable, and it's not serious. People think business is serious. Business is not fucking serious. Money is not fucking serious. And I'll I'll, I'll tell a story about this, and I'll wrap up with that, and hand it hand it off to you. But I did the Wim Hof thing and I was like, all right, man, I could hold my breath for like a minute. And it's like, maybe after I do this, I could hold it for two. I held my fucking breath for five minutes, man, in 30 days of doing the Wim Hof method. That for most people is fucking impossible. And, and what's interesting is now I could show anybody how to do that in five minutes. I could show you how to hold your breath for five minutes. And I think one time I went to like five minutes and 30 seconds and I just looked at the clock and I was like, fuck, I haven't breathed it in like five minutes. Like I should probably breathe now. And I did. I felt like I could go longer if I had to. It's a good decision. We we could have lost you there. We could have lost me there. Nah, not really. I think you probably just pass out and then come right back. But it, once again, don't take medical advice or health advice <laughs> from us
0: anytime in the next. Five we minutes.
1: don't know. We don't know what we're talking about for the most part. So if you need to check with your doctor before you do anything, we're
0: chimpanzees, is what he's saying. We know we're chimpanzees,
1: but. Um, I'm hairier than you, Bart, so I'll take this, the, the the chimpanzee role. But at the end of the day, it's it's a reality distortion field. He bends reality by what he does. You know, being able to take an ice bath for five minutes, bending reality, and it's these things. You know, it's like when I did firewalking back in the day. We did firewalking. We walked on broken glass. We bent arrows with our with our throats. Again, don't try it at home. But we did all this crazy stuff, and it was an affirmation that we don't have to accept the beliefs of everybody else around us. And not only that, one step further is that we can influence others and influence ourselves when we learn influence. And an interesting example of this is I remember, again, Stuart Wilde, one of my mentors back in the day, and uh, who we were just talking about. And I went over to his house in Australia and they were telling me the story, which was awesome. You know, somebody came over and he had a kid and his kid, the mom, I think had been probably giving some maybe not so great financial advice, allegedly, to the kid. And so we went outside and there was store apparently putting dollar bills on a tree. And when asked why he was doing this, he turned to us all and said, hey, um, I wanted to show him that money does grow on trees. Because <laughs> apparently the mother had told him, hey, be careful with money. My, you know, Money doesn't grow on trees. You got to be careful with it. And so he was putting money on a tree to show the kid that money actually grows on trees, and which we know money actually does. If you look at what's happening now in California, avocados, our multi-million dollar business grow on trees. Hemp, cannabis, CBD, all that stuff comes from a tree. So money does grow on trees. Anyone who tells you it doesn't is lying to you. And if you were able to just shift your consciousness, shift your belief system and modify your beliefs just a little bit, an inch at a time, you can get to a place that serves you a lot better and then come at things from a place of power. And I think that's what we're talking about here, Bob.
0: Um, I'll end with this really interesting, true story. So, so when I was young, I studied NLP and hypnosis and got trained in all that stuff, as well as the handwriting now. So I, I was like a little Tony Robbins. And, of course, I went to his seminars, and I was impressed by him being so young. And I was in Las Vegas. And I don't remember how I met, but I ended up going to this other guy's firewalking seminar, an unknown person. And in that era, in the 90s, everyone wanted to be Tony Robbins. There was a lot of, like, you know, pretend to be next Tony Robbins guys. And I was with my mom, who at the time was, you know, 50 years old or something, but, but you know, older than me. And the guy came out on stage and he goes, uh, okay, the coals are ready. Let's go firewalking. And you could tell the crowd went, the coals are ready? I'm not ready (laughs) and and whatever happened and and because if you've seen people like Tony Robbins or these amazing you know Bill Clintons of the world you just think it's easy and you think oh well it always works and it's not real coal or there's some trick to it or whatever and that day went terrible Um, I was there so I was able to get my mother's attention and use my little hypnosis skills to help her go successfully across the coals and I had done it before like you have But over 70% of the audience left with bandages on their feet, and they all got burned. And that guy never did this again and got sued. And I could tell from the presentation intuitively something is really wrong. This guy lost the ability to create a reality distortion. Like I'm not sure what he did or where he went wrong, but I could feel in the room that no one was enrolled into him anymore. Whatever he said, whatever Tony Robbins does, he failed to do it. Maybe he only failed one percent, but that one word made the audience snap back to reality and say, oh, shit, I can't walk on coals. They're 400 degrees. And people got burned, really burned. It was amazing to see shit go terribly wrong because then you realize how real this is when you're breaking a physical law like why cross out coals, which you shouldn't be able to do. But metaphorically, if you can do it, it does do something in your brain, Shaheen, that says, hey, maybe other things I used to believe— could not be true. Um, but it took me a real, I was like, wow, this is, we're not fooling around if you're walking on coals. But if you're going to go there uh, and be a guru or a um, charismatic leader, um, try not to have hot burning coals under their feet. If you go wrong, it's going to go terribly wrong.
1: Yeah, in, in general. But you know, that's, it's uncommon for walks when they're done right and with the right place and the, the people who are certified and they know what they're doing. I've never heard of something like that happening. But that's the
0: point is it's not a trick. You have to be mentally there or you shouldn't walk it because the physics will burn you. And I just think it's a good story of someone that didn't know the reality story. They weren't good enough. And so if you're going to jump off, you know, jump out of a plane, make sure your parachute's packed by the right person.
1: No, it's a great lesson. You know, you got to – I think what what I'm hearing you say – is that you want to make sure that you are on top of your game when you go into battle in any type, And that applies to business, Bart. And that's so, so brilliant that you say that because that's really true. Because some days we're off. And if you're off, take the day off. Back off. Don't go into battle unless you are on and it's an on day for you. And with that said, Bart, how can people get a hold of you? You know, I'm tired of paying for books. I want to get your book for free. How would I get your book for free, Bart?
0: You know, I really want them all to go buy it. But I like you and I like my listeners. Um, I'm created a website called getbartsbook.com. Getbartsbook.com. And my magic question is there. And then uh, also the rich and happy. Now, I'm working on the audiobook on that, but I still think there's at least a couple of free chapters um, in the audio book. So get Bart's book slash free. That'll get you the rich and happy book. And then uh, the magic question is there, too. Uh, also on Instagram, follow me on Bart Baggett. you know, obviously our YouTube channel and you'll keep following the show and spread the show around. If you like what we're doing, you know text a couple of friends saying this is pretty cool. let's check it out. And uh, there it is. There's me with uh, uh, the magic question book, getbartsbook.com. And then we're also starting something new. Uh, we're doing this monthly training called Life Design. It's a good breakthrough session and it's at uh, prismlifedesign.com. Uh, and if you do want some real changes, Without going too much into detail, you've got to sort of uh, use neuroconditioning to reanalyze your belief systems and then your daily habits. But uh, that's a pretty cool program, Prism Life Design. Check it out. We'll be starting trainings this month. And uh, you've got a new book coming out, but you've got a, a course where you teach people Amazon. And I think it is. Amazon. I always forget the domain. Amazon so, Hacking? Ah, oh, man, I can't remember. Close, close. Don't
1: go to Amazon Hacking, guys. I'm not sure what that is. So, Okay, so we'll, <laughs> we could talk about the book. So you guys can go to ThrillPillCult.com, where you can learn about my upcoming book, where I tell the story of Verbal Ecstasy, how we created a billion dollars in revenue while I was in my teens, and that's Billion, How I Became King of the Thrill Pill Cult. And that book is coming out. I just finished the Audible version of it. I'm super excited, but that's coming out in August. So we're we're really excited about that. So join up, go to thrillpillcult.com, enter your information. For anybody here who is interested in selling on the Amazon platform, I run an Amazon course called Amazon Mastery. And we have a one-hour crash course which teaches you everything about how to find a product which is most people's top problem is like, hey, I want to sell on Amazon. I want to create recurring predictable revenue. And we teach you how to do that. We teach you how to find the product, how to see what the market needs and feed it, what it already needs. Find these vulnerabilities in the market and feed them. And you can get that on FBASellerCourse.com. Go in there, fill out the form. I'm happy to have a, a phone call with anybody who's interested. I answer all messages directly. So go to FBASellerCourse.com or ShaheenShan.com and reach out to us. And I'm happy to give you any of the listeners of Hack and Grow Rich the uh, one-hour show for free, the one-hour program for free on how to sell on Amazon. Now, also, you guys, if you're watching this on our YouTube channel, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Podcast Attic, anywhere where podcasts are found, make sure to like and subscribe and give us a review. It helps. Every single person helps. Reach out to us if you have questions, topics, guests you'd like to suggest or if you'd like to be a guest on our show. We're going to have a lot of great guests on the show. So please make sure to reach out to us. We love to hear from you. We're also on Instagram at hack underscore and underscore grow underscore rich. And you can also make sure to subscribe to the Hack and Grow Rich podcast. And for my co-host, Bart Baggett and myself, thank you for listening in to another great episode of Hack and Grow Rich. And we can't wait to catch you guys on the flip side.